Hey everyone, this is Mike Dunn. I'm Matt Downing. I'm Janine Dunn. And you're listening to Rethinking EDU. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. You are listening to our 30th episode, which is oh, yeah. super exciting. I had a little air horn, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> so 30th episode coming out here in late March of 2021. I can't even imagine co-hosts how we ever got to 30 episodes. You know, we started this podcast back at the beginning of the pandemic and uh, we've been going strong here. We took a little break, you know, as we all caught up to our school lives and our work lives and everything like that um, in the fall, but we've been going strong here. You are listening to our series that we're calling Perspectives, where we talk to people who are working kind of on the outskirts of education, people that are not maybe working directly day to day in schools, but are working with schools or working with teachers, working with families, everything along those lines to make schools a better place. Hey Mike, before you get before you get too far into it, just want to give our listeners a little insight into a bit how this happened. So Julie, Janine, uh, Mike and I, you know, we we're talking uh, either through a Zoom call or just on Discord or talking on the phone or something. And Mike was like, uh, so do you guys want to, you know, start a podcast? <laughs> and we were like, uh, sure. How do we do that, Mike? <laughs> and Mike was like, well, I've done this before. It's really not that hard. You just need this, 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 this. And we were like, okay, just tell us what to do. <laughs> step by step. Um it's been great. So thanks, Mike. Thanks for leading this. Thanks for getting it started. And uh, and it's been super fun and enlightening uh, for me. I just wanted to chime in there before we got too far into it. I second all of that. Thanks, y'all. That's very kind of you. I appreciate that. Well, I know I couldn't make this podcast happen without you, certainly co-host, but also without our amazing guests. And tonight, we're chatting with Emily Liebtag. Emily is an education consultant. She works with schools and teachers and families to transform schools from the ground up across the country. She's located in North Carolina right now, where over the last, I don't know, Emily, tell us how long you and Tom Vander Ark, who was a previous guest, authored an amazing book called Difference Making at the Heart of Learning. How are you doing, Emily? Everything going well? Oh gosh, that's such a big question. How do I how do I begin? Um, life. Well, we, we start with the easy questions first, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am I am doing okay. I think this past year obviously has brought a lot of questions, has brought a lot of challenges, and has brought a lot of reframing and rethinking for all of us. Not to plug rethinking, but rethinking for sure. Um, and a lot of pain and a lot of uh, hard times. So right now, how's life though? Okay, I'm feeling hopeful. I'm feeling like there's enthusiasm about being back in school. And I'm feeling like maybe we're on the, the cusp of actually listening to teachers and actually paying attention to you know what they've seen, felt and heard, not just over the last year, but over the last, you know, the last couple of decades of wanting to do better by the young people they work with. So that's a long-winded answer to a simple question. <laughs> I think it's a really important answer, though. You're sort of leaning into this notion that for so long, schools have not necessarily listened to the people that are doing the direct service work that schools require on an everyday basis. And I've seen more schools listening to teachers 
now than I ever have before. Also, I've seen a lot of schools totally disregarding what teachers are talking about um, even more than I have before. So I think there's there's your your uh, answer to the question is spot on. There's been a lot of like hope and also a lot of pain, right? Education is sort of in a lot of turmoil right now, and um, and it, and and it's a struggle. It really is. Yeah, I've, I'm working with about 120 teachers from across, actually around the world, and there have been both answers. People ask me what I think, but then they don't do anything with it. And also people are listening and I really feel valued. So I think there is a dichotomy or there's two things happening at once. Yeah. So Emily, you started your career in Durham Public Schools in North Carolina um, as a teacher. How many years did you spend in the classroom and kind of what impact do you think you had? What impact did those years in the classroom have on your experience and work now? I was in the classroom for just under five years. I taught at an elementary school and those experiences were so pivotal in my path today in not only how I want to impact education, but also how I see myself. By the way, we have a special guest on the podcast and his name is Chris Unger. Welcome to the podcast. What up, what up, what up, what up? Chris what Unger, welcome. I got a, t- I got a text from Emily. Like, I'm in you want to come on? I'm like, what a surprise. Okay, oh, let's go. <laughs> welcome to Tuesday night, friends. Welcome to, is it Tuesday? It's Tuesday. Welcome to Tuesday. All day. It's a privilege to be on here with uh, you guys. This is awesome. Chris, this is your second uh, appearance on the pod. And I just have to say that you were the only person, aside from the co-host, that has now appeared (laughs) twice on the pod. And so, uh, you know, not to say you're a big deal or anything, but you're kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But now I'm feeling very, uh, like, like... I gotta, I gotta make sure this is really good. So now I'm getting hyped up here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll kick it right, off for us. I'll yeah. be sure to kick it off. Um, yes. So I was just, at, I was explaining a little bit about how my years teaching impacted the work that I do today. And Chris, you've heard this story, but just seeing how myself as a learner, and then seeing how the learners I worked with really weren't getting what they needed and weren't really feeling connected, connected to themselves, connected to to their community, connected to what we were learning. And that that has become my call uh, to just figure out how to tap in and unleash the potential of every young person um, through connection, through connection to self, through connection to community and connection to what it is they care about and want to learn. I also, from after teaching, then I went on to teach teachers, like Janine, you said, you currently do now. And that also really pushed me to do the work that I do today, which is educators are not these just mama bird feeding baby bird information. They too are robust, dynamic individuals who have something to offer, not just content, but offer how they see the world, how they learn, how they see themselves, and all of those things are valuable to the young people that we work with as well. Um, 
think, Chris, you're a really good example of that, being that you were actually a professor to a lot of the people on the call. Your curiosity <laughs> and your perspective in the world yeah. actually is a part of a part of what we want to create. Well, I think that's true. You know, I think that sometimes we talk about wanting to do better by youth, because uh, I do think we're doing a gross disservice to the greater majority of the youth across the country. But you know what, an insight for me a couple of years ago when I thought about it is what a disservice we're doing to all the adults that want to serve the youth. Uh, I think that educators go into this business in a sense like, I, I want to make a difference in these kids' lives. And then, I, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, okay what, oh, oh, uh, it's a monopoly board. I have to play the monopoly board. I have to do this curriculum. I have to follow this schedule. I have to teach them biology. You know, then the problem with the Monopoly board is like for you, Emily, and Mike, and Janine, and Julie, and Matthew, I know your heart is first and foremost with, well, who is this, who is this kiddo in front of me? Who, who are they? What's their history? Where are they coming from? What are they potentially interested in or passionate? What can I do to assist and support them in their interests and passions? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not part of the game. That's not part of the game. You're not supposed to teach, you're not supposed to pay attention to that. You're supposed to make sure that they are level three reading, or you're made to make sure they know the mitosis. So you need to make sure that, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, it's really, I think. We have, I, 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 I worry so gro greatly about the, the students, but man, what a disservice we're doing to all these incredible adults that ha could be really creative and innovative and reaching out and making connections and having relations like you, Emily, right? <laughs> right. And Matt, you know, all you, you know, this is what Julie and Janine, I know in your school, like you pay a lot of attention to that. The, the benefit for you, Julian Janine, you're in a school that actually affords kids to be able to explore their what their potential interests and passions are. Most people aren't. So before I keep going on and on, I just think that the entire system is a, is, is 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 configured like a monopoly game, and everybody's following the rules because those are the expectations. And I, I think that really what we're we're trying to do, Emily and the rest of us, you know, Mike and Matt and Julie and Janine, is like, well, what happens? What what is, is should we be playing this game? I'm not sure this is the game we should be playing. To tell you the truth, Chris, how how do we get them off the game? Disruption, disruption. Let's go. But is it disruption though? So I I don't know. So I is it disruption? And I'm saying that in, I'm saying that to just be an ad that you know devil's advocate, but I also you look at ways that people learn and ways that communities come together and ways that people decide they want to make a difference or they want to support a cause. There's learning embedded in that. There's communication, there's collaboration, there's all of these things that if school never existed, if we never decided to make school, learning would still exist. So do we put all of our our efforts in disruption or do we do kind of what I we tried to advocate for in difference making? Sort of. Um, we could probably go longer on that, but basically say, 
why don't you all this energy we're putting into disrupting the system? Why don't we just look at what is and start doing things outside of the system that are so contagious, that are so intuitively better, like just that people crave that we can't do anything but start to do more of that type of work in schools. Um, like what? So I remember one time I learned how to cook dumplings. Okay, so I'm going to use an example of learning how to cook. I met with a chef who was practicing in his own restaurant. I went to a market to pick out all the ingredients. I connected with someone who told me the story about making dumplings. I read about it. I looked at some videos online, all to say I have this robust learning experience all around making something new and cooking food. And none of it was in school. Now you give a young person an experience like that tied to something that they care about, even more powerful. And you have yourself a really great learning experience where they've done some reading, they've collaborated with someone, they connected with someone in the real world, and they've done all these different things that we've been seeking to see in schools. And it was just an authentic learning experience. It sounds trite and simple, but I mean. Yeah, can I, can I, can I, uh lovingly push back on that a little bit if i can do that bring it on Chris. bring it on all right so you know i think that i i mean I, I i agree with you totally i think that learning is happening all the time and you know what the thing that we can do best is to support sort of the natural learning that could potentially occur however I, and again, you can push back at me if you want, but um, I don't think a lot of youth are in context where those conditions and those potential relationships and opportunities and potential mentoring relationships are readily made available to them. So, you know, if I were to show up on your, I, I, you know, if I were to show up on your farm, you and I would probably go do a lot of fun and cool things, right? But kids don't have necessarily a farm to go to. Like they're in their houses and they may go down the street, but they, I think that one of the things we need to do as educators, and again, you can push back on me, is like, like there, there are things that we readily think about how to engage youth around their interests and passions and like go explore. We can just go out into the woods. I, I just moved to a place where we have 10 acres of woods. So my grandson and I go out and we look at stuff and we start chopping at things and we see if we can break the ice. But, but I don't think that those opportunities are readily available to most youth. So in some ways, I feel like we need to have some kind of organizing system so that the kinds of opportunities and learning opportunities and relationships could be made available to everyone and not just to some. I agree. And I think that there's a lot of communities, including the school with which I taught, where they didn't feel that they could see opportunity even when we did try and make those connections and they weren't places they wanted to, to be or places that they didn't always feel safe and so there that is i totally agree and what does that look like that's oh gosh that's a whole can of worms and how do you make those things happen? 
Well, isn't that, isn't that the magic that we need to make? I mean, I, I you know. No, I was going to say the same thing. Isn't that the job of the teacher, though? Like, you end up, the teacher ends up becoming the mentor, the facilitator that you're asking these kids, what do you really want to learn about? What are you passionate about? What are you, what are you curious about? And then you find the resources and and make it happen. I mean, that's what I do as an educator. But- or, or, or if you don't find the resources, you're helping them to find the resources. Right. That's the, yeah. that's the stuff that you got, you and Julie are doing a lot, right? It's sort of like you're mentoring students on like how they can actually begin to explore their own uh, interest and passions through just looking at stuff on the web, but also maybe finding potential people to talk with, doing potential projects in the community. I just, I, you know, I, I, I just, I think that the setup. I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna, I'll say this thing. I don't like the way we have schools, but I do want some kind of infrastructure that ensures, and it doesn't look the, anything like we have now, infrastructure where we are purposefully assisting and supporting and guiding uh, learning opportunities for all youth, whoever you where whoever you are and wherever you are, and in whatever family conditions or community systems you're in, that they can begin to explore what the world is, what they might be interested in, and have some kind of mentoring relationships that really pays attention to like their development but it's just not it's not the system we have that's the problem can i add one more piece to that that i think is important and what i would love to see in terms of we were we were talking about um preparation of teachers earlier um with uh, janine mentioning that she that's something that she's working on i would i would love to see more preparation go toward teachers and anybody who's working in education um, be sort of around uh, community organizing so we can help I think to what you're what both of you are saying we can help people become better organizers of community resources better organizers of individuals within communities and communities to become more aware of the like amazing assets that they already have I think so many communities have so much, really amazing, you know, small businesses and people that are willing to open up their doors to young people uh, if they were given sort of the permission and the support in order to do that, that um, can really make, I think, dynamic learning happen if the doors to the school, quote unquote school here, right, air quotes on the podcast, uh, were less closed. If the If the doors to the school were, say, invitational to the person who owns the flower shop down the block and has for 40 years and they can host you know a young person to come in and learn from them or they can come in and talk with students about um owning a small business and what that's like especially one that is has such small margins like a flower shop i think that can go a really long way to help produce the sort of infrastructure chris that i think you're talking about from a really grounded perspective. And it all starts with the, we mentioned this in the book, and then I've heard this idea that this new mutuality that should have always been, that our fates are intertwined, right? And that taking care of community, taking care of one another and restructuring in a way that Chris, you just described will benefit us all. And that sharing of resources, sharing of ideas um, will stand to benefit 
us all. Mike, you, that makes me think of a center that was in Durham that was an after-school program. It served a lot of the young people that I worked with. And the center had amazing resources that we couldn't, we didn't, but we didn't tap into that center and we didn't talk to them. But young people after school would go there as their after school program. And there are all these ways in which we could have been working together and we didn't. And it was such a shame. Um, I mean, and think about this last year where pulled resources, shared resources, being more of an organizer and a community li liaison would have really, you know, stood to serve a lot of us well in communities well. Yeah, I love that. I know, I know. I think. I, I think. I love what you said, Mike. I love Emily. What you're saying. I guess what I am saying that learning can happen naturally, but I think there is really an important role for individuals to guide, support, and encourage. So, yeah, encourage youth, connect them. Uh, through a lot of different mechanisms. And I, I can't figure out how the mechanisms work. I could think about like, I don't know if this is helpful or not, we can decide to trash this or not, but it's sort of like, if if it was a small community of a hundred people, and sometimes it's really kind of interesting to think about these small communities, right? A hundred people and there's 30 or 40 kids and there's 60 to or 80 adults and, you know, they all know each other and and you know this this young kid who's eight or nine my kid is yeah my grandson's seven and you know he takes a liking to like going out and maybe says hey i'd love to build a boat out of wood you know by you know in the backyard because well i know this guy down the street why don't we have you work with this guy down the street you know and, and it would just we don't we're somehow we're missing the boat to to, to mike's point and Emily, I think to your point is like we're not really recognizing the resources and potential ex, uh, mentoring relationships in communities to connect the kids with the right people to afford them with the mentoring and experiences that will, you know, uh, assist and support and light a fire in that child around what they're potentially interested and passionate about. I just, we're just missing it all together. I don't know how to, you know, just missing it all together. We created a factory system. You know, the other thing, and I think you talk about this, Emily, I, you, you, every kid that comes in the door is a deficit. So they become a widget and we have to fix them. Well, what happens if we say, wow, this is a beautiful person. How do I help? How do I help this person grow? Who do I connect them with? What experiences can I afford them with that will help them to grow in this beautiful way? We just, we just, our paradigm is so broken. Yeah. And some of the things that I think have to happen even before that, and I wonder what all of you would think, is also making young people feel like they have a sense of belonging. And and it's, someone might have never even asked, "What do you care about?" or had the chance and opportunity to explore those things. So I think. There's also a layer that comes before this of just valuing the humans, as you're saying, Chris, and seeing them as beautiful and seeing them as worthy of exploring those things and that someone cares about what they care about and cares about those passions and purpose, even if they don't know what they are just yet. 
I think that Janine is asking this question here in the Discord chat about um, asking students, what do you want to learn? And I think that question sort of is getting what you're getting at what you're talking about, Emily. The the hang up with that question is that I think most teachers or most adults are not actually interested in hearing the answer to that question. So it requires us to kind of go take a few steps back and say, if I ask the question, what do you want to learn? Or, you know, what are you interested in? Or what are the things that, you know, excite you to get out of bed in the morning? As an adult in in this community that we're talking about here, I have to be prepared to take on the answer to that and honor it as being, you know, something that I'm ready to hear and I'm and I'm okay with hearing. Right. So if a student Well, I, I think I, I think that's the I think in you know, you can you know, if we were face to face, I would say you could slap me, but you know you just... <laughs> anyway. Um I'm anti violence, Chris. Sorry. Uh, I, I don't do the slapping. Uh, <laughs> uh figurative, I guess. So I don't think that's the right question. I actually been thinking about this quite a bit as of like the question is not what do you want to learn? Uh and you know, for you know, that I think that the most important question is is actually, what do you want to create, make, or do? And, and you know, learning happens when you're creating, making, and doing something. As long as you, you know, you, you pay attention to it, 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 you want to learn. And people, like, it's, it's there's a, even when, when we say, you know, I don't like teaching because that means, oh, I'm teaching you something. But if I say, what do you want to learn? Then it's sort of like, we still have a paradigm around, I don't know, I could be really off here, but the point is with a student or a kid, or I would even say an adult, when you ask, what do you want to create, make, or do? So let's think about the adult. I want to grow like, I want to grow corn this summer, right? You know, Emily, you've got a, a farm. I think you have a farm and you've got uh, other things going on. You're creating and making, doing a lot of things, and you're learning a lot through the creating, making, and doing, right? Uh, in, in, or if I want to build a deck or I want to try to, uh, whatever it might, I want to you know, learn how to kayak down a river, right? It's, I want to, I want to, I want to be able to kayak down a river. You, you learning comes in the creating and making and doing. And, and in some ways we have so many preconceived conceptions and sort of mindsets or frameworks around what teaching is and what learning is, I kind of want to like step away from that. And it's just like, I would, I wouldn't want to ask my, my grandson, what do you want to learn? He might say, well, I would like to learn more about yaks. In fact, I was helping them with a homework assignment about yaks. Uh, well, yeah. Well, okay. Well, so maybe that's true. Maybe you do. Uh, by the way, since I just did this assignment with those lads, I will tell you they weigh approximately 1800 pounds. They travel in herds. And because they live in environments where there's very little little trees, the uh, the the locals uh, burn their dung for fire. But anyway, so you've learned more than you might want to know by now. You know, it's actually an interesting question. He has this knowledge, but what does he do with it, right? And so I don't know. I I wonder about that. I want to know more about yaks. <laughs> I do too. I do too. <laughs> Yeah, I see now I'm just thinking about that I know there's like 20,000 different kinds of bees in the world and I want to like learn more about bees and yaks and all these things. Um, so uh, one thing that this is 
making me think about is this time that we're in right now. And as Chris is saying, are we asking the right questions? And what are we encouraging educators to ask? And what are we encouraging ourselves to ask? And I do wonder um, if the question is to, to reimagine education itself or to reconsider, as Chris just said, the questions and what role we play and what role we're playing when we work with young people. Um, in the book that Mike's alluding to, Difference Making at the Heart of Learning, that I wrote with my colleague Tom Vanderark, we actually propose that it is a different set of questions and that instead of thinking about this repository of all this different content that young people will learn, that you actually do start with these big questions about how do you want to make a difference? Um, what's a challenge that you see in your community that you'd like to try and tackle? How do you see yourself in the world and want to make yourself a better human and make this world a better place? So, yeah, I do wonder if it's that we're asking the right question and particularly right now. Um, I have a question for all of you. Can I ask all of you a question? I am really grappling with a lot of us are encouraging educators right now and saying that there's been no better time to make a change. There's been no better time to make a difference and do some of the things that I just described. And I wonder if that is so dishonoring of what educators have been through this past year. And I wonder, particularly for those of you who are teaching on and hosts on this podcast, what do you think about when people say to you, there's no better time to make a difference than right now and reimagine school? And how does that make you feel? Yeah, I can jump in there. Um, yeah, I'll be honest. When people say that and I read those things, it, I can't connect to that, something about it. Um, because one, I don't see that actually happening, right? I, people are doing what they have been doing. And then the second part, Emily, I think is what you said, and I haven't been able to put my finger on it. I think it is a bit dishonoring what has been done um, and then, okay, this thing happened and now we're going to do all of this stuff and all of the things that have been done haven't really been up to par yet. So, yeah, I think it's twofold and I haven't been able to, to articulate that. But I'll be honest, like, you know, I, I read all these articles. Yeah, things are totally different and maybe I'm pessimistic, maybe I'm skeptical, but I don't see it. Uh, so that, yeah, that's my feel on that. I would say... Um... For me, it's my my life's work has been to, you know, sort of try to upend education. And um, by saying now is the time um, certainly strikes an imperative in my work now. Like I I can be making a difference now, maybe more than I had been trying to in the past. But I would I would also say that I think it's almost more important right now to let educators across the country sort of get their bearings because I found that this year has been particularly difficult because I've had to be, I've had to be making decisions on a daily basis about things that I've never had to maybe haven't had to make decisions about since I was a first year teacher. So like little things that I've just have sort of like done automatically for the past 15 years have now I've had to say, Whoa, I need to rethink that because you know, um, because COVID, you know, and this includes everything from like getting kids out into the, into the world to do field work, to research, to what have you. And as a result of that, I found myself sort of really struggling with being able to have the bandwidth 
to consider how to reimagine education or how to do things differently. Whereas if you were to ask me that question, maybe even last year, I would have said, oh, here's a, here's a bunch of things that I'm, that I'm really working at right now. But it, it's, it's so uncomfortable for so many teachers that I've talked to um, in the last you know, year that talking with them about how to do things differently, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I think I just need to maintain my first grade classroom right now because kids are worried, parents are worried, you know, things are so uncomfortable that I can't make any activity that's going to cause any more waves than it already that are already happening. Um, and so I think for that reason, it's really, really challenging right now. And I think your point, Emily, about like taking a step back and just listening to what's sort of happening um, in the world and in, from parents and from students and from my colleagues is is probably the most important service I can be doing right now. Well, and I ask because for folks like you on the call and myself and Chris and others who do have these big, bold ideas for the new questions we can ask and difference making. And I don't know, I, as much as I have conviction about those ideas, I really think we need to pause and pay attention and figure out if it is the time to, to reimagine. And if so, what does that look like? I wonder, Chris, what, what you think? And I say this with the caveat that I am all for doing things differently, but. I'm, I, I'm generally a glass half full kind of guy, but um, I think basically what's going to come out of this, and I could be wrong, um, but I think that what I'm hearing from educators is that in some cases it's given them a, a window into what the lives of their youth or their students really is because they've had to like interact with their family more. They've had to get on Zoom. They see the brothers and sisters, maybe the grandfather and grandmother and the, at home and the, the, the challenges they have. So it's given some educators a window into the actual lives of youth. So it's a recognition that, you know, there's a lot of tough stuff going on in a lot of the lives of youth that we're trying to serve. And that's become, come to the fore. I think then, 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 and that's not bad. That's important. And also there's a sort of reinforcement of, you know, how are the kids doing and social emotionally? Uh, how are, and I hate framing it that way, just, but how are they doing? Who, what, what's going on with them personally, emotionally, psychologically is really, really important. So it's lifted that up, I think, to an extent. I think then, you know, people are going to say, oh, and how can we use technology better? You know, Emily, to your point, it's not actually surfacing the most important questions, which is, what are we really doing with this youth, these youth? Is, is, is the factory actually working for youth? Teaching a six-period or seven-period day, social studies, science, and math, and English, and ELA, and having them read novels that have nothing to do with their that they can connect with and write five paragraph essays is this actually the things that we could be doing with youth that's going to allow them to live the lives matt i think you asked the question to live the lives they really want to live 
and we are this pandemic is not raising those specific questions yeah just to give an example on that chris like when i'm talking to people about technology right like in a day in day out they're thinking yes this this pandemic has changed the way i teach and i'm like okay well how well I use Schoology more, or I've never used Zoom so much. It's really fun. I've never done this, but it doesn't get to those deeper questions. A, a pandemic or this disruption isn't going to disrupt teaching if it doesn't get to those core. And and I don't think it's doing that. I was just going to say, or actually, that that what you just said is how does it change your teaching? The response is I'm using a tool, which isn't mentally thinking differently about how they see young people, the questions they ask, their pedagogy. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I think a lot about that. If we know that young people are coming back yeah. with some who've been at home for a year watching brother, sister, while mom is at work all day, like all of the pieces and trauma and experiences that young people have had and some states first responses, well, we're going to test them to see what they've lost. I, I don't know. We've got bigger, we've got bigger, <laughs> bigger issues. I mean, so you're right though, right? But like, this is the conversation I want to be having, you know? And then and that's reimagining fundamentally how we see each other and how we see the young people we work with, right? And that then could be a launch pad for these deeper conversations about what the teaching looks like if you actually see yourself and the work differently. Chris, go. So that's that's the big so that's the big question, right, Emily? I I'd, I'd rather I'd rather to to Matt's point. I'd rather in the sense of the question is like, "Oh, how can I understand have have them understand meiosis and mitosis better through technology?" The question I want to ask kids, if you were to make a difference in the world, what difference would you like to make? And how can we do that? And I and I, I'm emphasizing the we, because it changes the, it changes the transactional. I have the knowledge you're going to gain it to the transformational, where you know like how can we work on making this difference in the world? It changes the entire dynamic of the relationship between you and the individual. It changes the whole focus from teaching and learning. Uh, I hate to give learning a bad name because I'm all about learning, but instead. What is the activity? What are the ways? What is the difference? How do I look at, and it goes back to your place-based book as well, right? What is my context? I love that little story you had about the, what was it, the, the, the pharmacy or the drugstore down the street or something that would, had a history to it. And it, there's just so much we could do to engage youth in the reality of the world they live in and ask them the question, what is the difference you would like to make in the world? And then if you change it from like, if you, if you basically then say, okay, how can we do that? <laughs> then they're engaged in learning because they are in the midst of creating, making, or doing something. And something that's of value. And if they start to think about how they can make a difference in the world, Oh boy, I would love to have a better world, to tell you the truth. I would love to have a million, five million, 60 million youth who are the ages of eight or seven to 16 or 17 wondering, 
what how do we need a better world and what can i do to make a better world i mean isn't that what we should be working on yeah my beforehand mike sent some questions and one of them is why this movement now and why suggesting this direction and you just named it like if we're not if what we've been doing isn't been working and fundamentally people don't feel like they're getting what they need why wouldn't we do this there's so many things we all could collectively be working on together towards making the world a better place and learning together throughout the process so why why wouldn't we why wouldn't we you know the answer is why not why wouldn't we move in this type of direction emily can i ask you a follow-up question to that so um a couple of weeks ago julie janine matt and i led this professional development session for some of matt's teachers at his uh at his large school and um, it was it was a fun experience, and I was pleasantly surprised at the like turnout and the response to the experience. But I would I also just came out came uh, out of that experience with like the a little bit of thinking that like some of the teachers that were in there that were you know like engaging in what we were offering were like really into it and like were feeling value in that experience. And some were um, not so much. And some of that has to do with like what we were asking. We were asking them to think about something that they would really like to be doing that they maybe had been struggling with to get moving in the past and how we can help them sort of ignite or launch this idea moving forward, right? And so I feel like I meet a lot of educators often that ask themselves this question, um, and often struggle with the answer, right? I have an idea. How do I get started with this idea? And you know, throughout the book, you talk to colleges and community programs and universities and educators at all these places. I would love to hear, you know, for our listeners, if you were to suggest to an educator that's out there listening right now that's saying, man, this sounds great, but I don't know even know where to start. How could how could a maybe just one teacher in their classroom? in the next month get started on asking the questions that you're talking about or doing the work that you're suggesting? Sure, so two really simple things would be to start with yourself. So sit with yourself and think about what you care about and what you care about in your community and what you care about in your school community. And then I think the second simple step is to connect with someone else. And so it we provide a lot of examples in the book for that reason. I hope you connect with those people. I hope you connect with me <laughs> and have the conversation um, so that we can talk about your practice and we can look at what you're doing in the next month. And when is there two to three lessons where you can start to engage in difference making and start to ask those questions. Um, so I, yeah, start with self and where you're at, what you care about, and what you've been longing to do. And then another small step is just to connect with, with someone else. Um, and connecting can be as simple as a phone call or as an email and reaching out um, and just have someone else think about your practice with you. I think educators learn the most from other educators. Um, you ask a lot of educators right now during the pandemic, how did you learn what you learned? It's peers, right? So ask someone else who inspires you and is doing something different with their practice. Um, or reach out to me. Reach out to me and Chris. We'll talk to you anytime. 
I think all of us on this pod would absolutely love to talk to anybody. (laughs) But it's like sharing your work, you know, like here's my lesson plans for the week. I want to try this. Where, where do you see, I could start to ask questions about what people care. Where do I start? You know, Chris, what were you thinking? No, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. And I, and I agree. I I mean, I don't, Matt, Mike, Janine, Julie, you, uh, Emily, I was talking about this earlier with several other people, like, I, I, I mean, I'm going to just try to do it really quickly, right? Like, I, I actually believe this is a civil rights movement. What we're doing to youth is a completely injustice. We're basically putting them in, in, in a worst case scenario, prisons where they are dictated to learn certain things because we think it's for their best. Um, and, you know, I think there are a lot of educators who are feeling very uncomfortable, or if not dissatisfied with the status quo. And, you know, you should reach out to others. You need to talk with others. You need to connect with them. You need to relate with them. But it may not actually be in your school. You may need to go out your, of your school environment and find, I mean, you, so you, you need to read, you know, you know, Emily's book, The Play Space with, with Tom Van Ark and Nate McLennan, the play-based book. You need to learn the learning, the, the difference-making book with Tom Van Ark. You need to, there are, uh, you know, the Ted Dintersmith book on what schools could be, uh, you know, the uh, Ken Robinson creative schools. There are people who are on the ledge looking forward and thinking about what what could we do differently to really afford and assist and support you know the true value of the youth we're trying to serve and what we can we do to really uh, assist our communities and move forward with our humanity and you know you may actually be in an environment where it's semi-caustic and i hate to say that you know reach out to these others find connections find relationships connect you know with you know, you're not alone. There's a lot of people out there that feel this way. Reach out. I I am very fortunate and privileged that I've had a lot of experiences go and meet different people and travel and, and understand that there are people across the country who are asking that same question, Mike, of how do I get started? But I mean, you can use email, use the phone, you know, even if you can't obviously go visit, especially during these times, there's so many people who are willing to connect and and start to share and dream with you about what's possible. That's so great. I love the suggestions. And I think that human to human connection, just feeling affirmed and feeling inspired by someone else that just is simply saying, I was where you were one month ago. And these are the couple things that I did in the last 30 days to get me moving in this direction. You should try one of those and let's talk again in a, in a week or so and see where you're at. And let's keep connecting as we move forward. Hey everyone, it's Mike. Thank you so much for making it through 30 whole episodes of Rethinking EDU. When we started this podcast back at the beginning of the pandemic, I don't think any of us could have imagined the depth and breadth of conversations that we could have had over these last 11 or so months. As you noticed in our conversation with Chris and Emily, we're talking with some just amazing people 
and continuing this conversation so we can help hopefully impact changes in education that we see and that we think are an imperative for this civil rights movement, as Chris calls it. Of course, we want to keep our conversations going. So please, 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 if you can spare even $1 a month, head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash rethinkingedu, and uh, support us in any way that you can. Also, when you get the spare time, check out this amazing podcast by our co-host, Matt Downing. A quick interruption to let you know about another great podcast. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Diving deep, EDU. Thought-provoking conversations. I, I would love to move into the last segment of this of this podcast where we sort of reflect on this conversation and um and I, I want to share that this conversation is reminding me that educators don't act, or sorry, they don't exist in a silo, but often um, schools and classrooms t- are tending to act in a silo. And when um, teachers are able to connect with other teachers, able to connect with people that are outside of education to talk about practices, talk to community members, and you know, see the wealth of resources that are located right outside their back door, then amazing things can happen in teaching and learning in schools and and um, and making a difference in the world. You know, I think that just building those small, simple connections can really make it can really make a difference for um, for for well for anybody really. <laughs> um, Matt or Emily or Chris, I'd love to hear what this conversation is sort of making you think about. Yeah, I sort of have the the game board image sort of stuck in my mind that education isn't, you know, we got to switch up the Monopoly board um, and, and make a new game. And I'm just sort of thinking and pondering and reflecting upon, you know, what that looks like. What does, what are the main hindrances? And I know there's a lot of the current Monopoly board set up. So sort of trying to prioritize those, reflect on those in my mind, and then rethinking, reimagining, re-envisioning what something could look like and and what has worked. And I know there's some good examples out there. And then the other, so, so that can be big, right? That can be overwhelming. And then the other uh, thing I'm thinking of goes along with, with what Mike, you kind of just said, um, you know, and, and other things, you know, we can start small, we can start with these relationships, we can uh, c- get connected. And I think that's so important. I would say I'm gonna leave Emily with the last word here, so to speak. But I I would say that the thing that has uh, inspired me and given me the most energy is the relationships with the other individuals that I know, like Emily and a bunch of others across the country, that are doing the hard work of doing assisting and supporting youth differently than the paradigm we exist under in public schooling. They are, they're focused on the youth. They're focused on who they are. They're focused on their assets. They're focused on what can I do day to day in my interaction with them to like help them move forward to realizing 
the life that they would actually like to pursue and live and how they can give back to our humanity. And there's a small bubble of those people. And if you're feeling lost and you're feeling like you don't know what to do, the the, the greatest thing you could do is to email or call any of these other individuals and say, I need help. And you know what? All of these people I know, like Emily and Mike and Matt and Julie and Janine and all these other people across the country that are doing school, teaching and learning differently, they are there. They want to assist and support you in thinking about how you can be in your system and working with your youth in a different way that actually meaningfully engages them and helps them think about the people they can be and what they can grow into. You're, you're not alone. And I think helping people who really want to ask the hard questions, who really want to, to do things differently, um, having them see small successes. Um, and again, knowing that it took, as you all described, other people a lot of work to get to where they are today and a lot of failures and a lot of, again, hard questions and hard conversations, but that it's ultimately worth it. I probably have more emails and questions and doubt, like people doubt, I don't think I can do this. This is going to get in the way. I'm going to say no. All those things might be true. But if you connect with someone like what, you know, myself included, who wants to help you see what is possible and see the small steps you can take and successes you can see, I don't know, it's really powerful. So I guess my reflection would just be to keep asking the hard questions and, uh, but allow yourself the opportunity to be in conversation with others who do want to see what's, what's possible and the small steps you can. That's so great. So great. I would say also, if you want to look back 29 episodes previous to this episode, there are at least 35 people that we've talked to that would also love to talk to you. Everybody from the students that we've had on our podcast to Chris Unger in, in our past reflection on the next network to, um, you know, Tom Vander Ark to plenty of others, Eva Mejia from Big Picture Learning and just there's so many guests that we've had that would, you know, more than welcome a, an email or a phone conversation to say like, you know, help me, help me get started, help me take one step forward. Um, so in the last segment of the podcast, we always offer our guests an opportunity and our hosts and our co-hosts actually an opportunity to plug something that they've been listening to, they've been uh, reading, they've been watching. And uh, Emily, let's give you the first word on this one. What's something that you would like to plug? Three things. One, a book. It's called Welcoming the Unwelcome by Pema Chadron. She is a Buddhist teacher of sorts. But in this whole conversation is about welcoming some of the unwelcome, right? So that's a great book. The second would be Sankofa Farms right here in North Carolina. It's um, led by a man who was a teacher and decided that he wanted to engage youth in regenerative agriculture, particularly um, Black youth and have them identify with um, their ancestors through the land. And I'm sure he would appreciate your support. And the third is just some good jams, St. Paul and the Broken Bones. Check them out. You won't be disappointed. 
Awesome. Awesome. I love uh, some St. Paul and the Broken Bones, and I particularly appreciate their um, collection of really amazing uh, show posters. So if you're out there perusing their website, don't don't forget to check out their merch. Super cool, amazing artists that they team up with to create those, as well as their music. Uh, Chris Unger, what about you? What would you like to plug this evening? Well, I've I've always been um, I've always been enthralled. I guess I could say that um, with the work that Ted Dintersmith has done over the several years. You know, a venture capitalist who decided I need to make a difference in education. Who's written two books uh, since one with Tony Wagner. And then recently, uh, what school could be? But he's also and his group have created a uh, an app, which is trying to connect people around what school could be. And it was just launched Monday, and I'm like, "Ooh, this is cool! It's not just a book. I read it, I get information, but it's like an app that's trying to create a community about what school could be." Yeah, I love it. I haven't I heard about the uh the app just recently, probably on Monday actually. Um and so I haven't yeah, yeah, I haven't had a chance to check it out yet. I'm a little slow on the uptake, I guess. But um I think uh it's billed as a community powered platform, which I'm super into and I think it has some real potential. And I know um Ted Dintersmith and the movement that he's creating around what school could be um, they've been plugging away at this app for a while now, and I'm excited to see, you know, what kinds of steps it's going to be able to take moving forward. Matt, do you want to do you want to plug? Yeah, just real quick. Uh, it's one by Wacom, and it is a device that's Chromebook compatible, and you can use it to sort of create and illustrate and do fun things uh, that you couldn't be able to do on a Chromebook. It's super cheap. It's like 60 bucks. It just launched. Um, it's a reputable company. I think it's the best thing out there for doing things like that in an easy plug and play creation, get things moving, engage with students. Um, yeah. So I, I love it. And Matt, that's like a, that's like a tablet. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tablet, but there's no software um, that needs to be installed or, you know, put put onto the device because of the Chromebook compatibility. Awesome. Awesome. That's super cool. We'll definitely include a link for that in um, the podcast episode description and notes. Well, listen, uh, Emily and Chris, thank you so much for joining us and uh, listeners. Thank you so much for sticking with us in this episode. Um, we hope you really loved it. We would love for you to, uh, you know, share us with a friend of yours, um, you know, rate us on Apple Podcasts and also visit our Patreon. So if you go over to patreon.com slash rethinking edu, you can support us anywhere between the $1 and $100 a month or $1,000 a month if you know you're really trying to make the pod amazing. So, you know, Matt can quit his job and just go out on the road and produce podcast episodes all around the country. That would be that would be sweet. That would be sweet. So support us on Patreon um, and keep the conversation going. As always, thank you for listening and keep rethinking EDU.